All right. Hip Hop Colonians, it's your man, DJ Mr. Chris, with another fresh dope episode of Hip Hop Go Lips. So you know what we do. You know, I'm not tripping with y'all. I'm not tripping with y'all at all. You know how we do it week in and week out. Today, I have a very, so I'm going to use two adjectives here. Very special and very impactful guest that is on the show. This man here was a front man of a group back in the early 90s. He, he actually still is a front man of the group, but their music was very, very impactful, not only for people on the dance floor, but as a movement. You guys remember a little jingle called Mr. Window, who was giving us a little bit of advice was giving us a little bit of wisdom y'all remember a place called tennessee you guys definitely remember a track one of my favorite tracks on there called everyday people and i could just go on and 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 on to be quite honest with you guys so without further ado you know check it out listen there's no need to get into it i am blessed to have the front man from a group <laughs> i'm just i'm just i'm just really excited today i have speech from arrested development on hip-hopcalypse speech thank you my man thank you so much for being on the show brother chris thank you for having me on the show man it's good to talk man that's what's up you guys know what i do every week we just gonna hop right into it we are just going to hop right into this so speech what you been up to man what how, how are you doing today with this whole covid how's it how, how's your family doing how, how how's everything going on your end yeah thanks bro i mean everybody's doing really well you know i got a wife of 25 years um mm. we've been together for 30 years she's doing well i'm doing well neither of us have contracted covid19 i got two kids both of them are doing well neither of them have gotten it and my extended family, my mother, father, everybody, I mean, my extended family from sisters and brothers to mother and father, everybody's doing good. And the truth of the matter is it's been a interesting time because not doing as much traveling and touring and just being busy outside of the house, we've been focused way more on indoor things. And also just for me, outdoor, like yard work and like nature, so a lot of um, cutting down trees and preparing gardens. And so things like that, which is in and of itself, a whole nother like um, a whole nother direction of, of peace, you know, that comes from that. It's kind now, of like I will say, oh, I'm sorry. I just will say real quick, I have lost friends and um, it's been hard, you know, in that sense. But otherwise, okay. it's been my condolences my, my condolences and thank you brother. doing those doing those things is definitely a little bit therapeutic and that's the reason why i started this podcast and so it's definitely therapeutic it is it is so i know for all of the fans that's out there that's going to look at this video and listen to the podcast and everything like that you guys want to go down a little bit of history but really i don't think we really have to do that as much we will but not as much what i do want to touch on is you have a track called A Different World. Commander-in-Chief is a proud boy wearing a sheet. Yeah. 
one of the lyrics from that and that that is derived from the insurrection that just took place a couple of weeks ago you're sitting down and you're watching that i don't have to ask you what inspired you to write the lyrics but i do i do want you to take me into a journey into your mind with what you're seeing and what what your thoughts are yeah thanks for asking you know the january 6th insurrection was um a landmark moment to me in the life of all of us who are you know i don't know 100 or younger because this country has gotten to a place where um many people within this country probably about 45 percent of this country somehow feels that they are the only ones who have the right to representation of this in this country, that they're the only ones that um, can feel like if they don't get their way, that therefore they have the right to um, lie about results of an election, which can then lead to some of them literally storming the Capitol without fear of consequence. Many of them were taping themselves, storming the Capitol while congressional people and people that were um, voted into office were doing a sacred ceremony. And so these people were coming in to simply change the election according to what they wanted. And taping themselves while doing it, taking selfies at the desk of congressional members. I mean, beating up police officers, literally talking about assassinating politicians that run the the system of our government. And it's, it's, it's so that's a whole nother level of I won't say privilege of a feeling of entitlement that this country and including all of those systems I mentioned, the police, the Congress, that they work for them and them alone. Mm -hmm. And that is what I saw um, happening on January 6th. And it's not just a small group of people, you know, many journalists who were on site and me investigations that have taking place about this incident show that many of these people, they're not just radical white supremacists, although they were part of it. Many of these people were just hometown folks from areas like where I live in Georgia, who in their minds feel like this country is supposed to work for them and them alone. And if it starts to work for others in the same way that it's supposed to work for them, that that in and of itself is an infringement on their American, you know, um, experience. And that to me is a very deep and different mode than what's happened in previous years with numerous types of protest and even some that have broken into riots. So this is a totally different thing to me. And so that song that I wrote was in response to all of those feelings that I had in my mind. Yeah, I like it. I, I liked it a lot. Um, one of the things of Configo was going on the line. I like the uh, the beat that he remade to it. I mean, it's oh, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, crazy. I mean, it it was just sick. And so uh, Configo was, uh, which is a, a super UK producer, uh, y'all yeah. was supposed to be on, but he's a little bit under the weather. And I tell you that that's going to be an inter- interesting conversation. I hope to have him on the show. But um, and from what I understand, he's also a doctor too. And so he um, 
got a degree in hip hop and um, culture, uh, co- the culture of hip hop. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so, so now you know we're living in a with Biden coming into office. Um, it seems like things has kind of mellowed out a, li- a, a little bit as far as with the anger between people. But um, if we were to go back about four months, you you guys, uh, you Arrested Development, you guys uh, were iconic in the fact that you delivered culture, you de- you delivered uh, spirituality to uh, people, music, and hip hop. Thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Th- not a problem. But in my opinion here, uh, today where we are in hip hop, especially during this time, I feel speech that we don't have adequate representation of the black community in hip hop or music. Um, If you have a different say on it, let me know. But back in the days, we had you guys, Public Enemy, X-Clan, Ice Cube. We don't have that. We don't have that at all. Why is that? How can yeah? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, brother. First of all, I I deeply and desperately agree with you. Okay. We are not being represented as a full community, and most of it is on purpose. In 1996, there was a bill passed called the Telecommunications Act, in which, and Bill Clinton ironically uh, passed this law. Uh, this bill where it allows huge conglomerate corporate conglomerates to buy up all of the competition so in every market whether it be you know los angeles or atlanta they can come in and buy up the mom and pop stations which at one point used to compete and give diverse thoughts and opinions and music and so on and so forth they're able to buy those things up And so when they started doing that throughout the nation, if you remember the record labels used to be numerous, more than you can count record labels. Now, from a major label standpoint, there's about three major labels that exist. That's happened throughout all of corporate um, situations, not just in the music industry, where pretty much TV, music are all owned by very few corporations. But what that does is that the media that we're all exposed to from a mainstream standpoint is owned by very few people. And I've done a documentary called Hoodwinked. Um, The subtitle is The Nigga Factory. I see Oh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Where it explains how little amount of people are controlling the content for more people than ever has been done in the history of mankind to our knowledge. So uh, one number to give an example is 236 people control the content of the television and music watching and listening population in this country. So that's 300 million people or more controlled by 200 or so human beings. That's how content has been streamlined. So how does that relate to what you were saying is that when corporations are controlling what we end up hearing, what we end up liking and even loving and buying as music lovers, then that small amount of people are making a decision as to what we even have a choice to listen to, much less what we're going to decide to buy and and, and who's going to be huge. To give you an example, and I'm just using this person as an example, I'm not picking on this artist. A Cardi B 
can be signed by one label and that same label owns many of the magazines that she'll be on the cover of then she'll be on the cover of those magazines in the newspapers of those that same label ownership and then on the late night tv shows of the people that own that same channel so that gives you a full scope of one artist that's run by one label and so that's the problem everyone's going to know about and i'm just using her example a cardi b instead of hearing about a new pe record when the grid goes down or arrested developments record don't fight your demons or you know paris's record we're not going to hear about those records because they're not on that same corporation so that's what happens and so we hear about a new cardi b or meg the stallion or lil wayne or whatever record that comes out but we may not hear about an arrested development record back in the days we did have that exposure to all of those things because it wasn't the conglomerates did not own all of these particular uh mediums and 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 with that said um with that said that that and we could use this as a segue into my next question so when you guys came when you guys came out uh it was a different time it was a different era i mean you're headlining uh one of the most influential hip-hop groups that's out there that stands for black culture um how difficult was it really to get your message across now i know back in those days they probably had a little bit more filter with regards to image uh, with who they wanted to promote but was it kind of one of those things that the labels had no choice but to put you guys out because the momentum was just so fast with regards to who you were um who the the type of music and the image as well um whereas right now i think everyone's probably a little bit more liberal you can come out with in, with, with any and everything but with those labels controlling everything like that was it kind of one of those things that they tried to get you to change your image they tried to get you to change your content but it didn't happen because the momentum pressed you guys forward a little bit um i yes to some extent what you said is true the the other extent is that consciousness is important black consciousness is more than just wearing, you know, certain cool clothes, maybe a, you know, a Malcolm X hat or a African medallion which we, which is what we used to do in the late 80s early 90s all the way to now having this sort of thing about being woke. Consciousness is such a thing that was so powerful in the early 90s late 80s where we as a people were demanding to not only buy our own clothing things like cross colors or fubu or whatever right but we wanted to also tell our own stories and our own narratives so whether it was the movies from Spike Lee or John Singleton or the Van Peoples or you know various people like that or if it was television like the Cosby's and and um the different a different world on on television or living single or whatever and then of course to music with all the acts that you just mentioned when you have that type of consciousness the labels don't really know how to direct that music so they had no choice but to allow the people that created the music and the the content to lead the way they okay. wanted to make money from it they didn't want to leave it alone public enemy sold millions of records per album we sold 4 million albums so this was money making content but the content itself they didn't relate to so they couldn't 
guided. Mm-hmm. However, when consciousness is killed or drowned out by up by what I call unconscious music and unconscious content, then they do know how to move that. They know how to wield the wand of that because unfortunately racist people have been providing unconscious content for blacks since way before we were leading any record labels or putting out any of our own music by ourselves. This content from racist advertisement to racist academic books and racist commercials and all of these things, they were, they they had mastered that many, many decades and even hundreds of years ago in this country. So when it came to unconscious music, they get it. They know right, how to make right. a black woman a sexual vixen or an over-hypersexualized woman. They know how to make black men into lazy or dangerous or, you know, criminal people. That's an old trick. They know how to do those things. And so we as a people are the only ones that can control if this continues to happen to us. And the only way we could do that is to become more conscious ourselves and insist upon creating content that changes that narrative. How risky was it for you guys to be involved with Spike Lee by uh, lending uh, Revolution on on Malcolm X? Now, you guys had you guys had uh, an appeal to many uh, demographics, different culture. Malcolm X, Spike Lee, people think he's kind of radical. How risky? was that and if and and did you receive any backlash for being a part of an iconic movie like that um yes and no the good part about that time period was that a lot of conscious things were getting their way into the marketplace and a lot of huge corporations wanted part of that money so part of it was celebrated the other part of it was feared especially if we would continue down that path so what I mean by that is even Ice Cube, and this is not a diss to Ice Cube, I deeply respect him as an artist mm-hmm. and as a man, family man included. But even in Ice Cube, if he was to continue to do records like um, maybe America's Most Wanted or records that had a lot of political messages, that would not be as accepted within the industry as if he just did one every once in a while, which is what, in my opinion, he tended to do. So N.W.A. would have a song like F the Police, and that was more of a political record in a sense. And then other records would be more about, you know, beating down a woman or selling dope or whatever. So it's when you get consistent with consciousness that it becomes an issue with the establishment. It's not every once in a while type songs and lyrics that, that scare them. Okay, okay. So, want to uh, ch- change ch- change the narrative a little bit. And um, if this is a little bit too personal, please, I I know, but uh, please let me know. Uh, Baba OJ, um, he was a part of the group, and I did some research that you guys were in college together. Um, what was he to the group? What did he mean to you? Was he spiritual? Was was he the Mr. Window that you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't literally Mr. Window because Mr. Window is a conglomerative, a, conglab- a collaboration of a lot of different homeless people that me and my best friend at the time, Headliner, used to hang around with. So there was no one Mr. Window. But Baba OJ meant 
a lot to me in numerous layers. So I'll, I'll explain a few things. One is he was just an older guy with a lot of um, knowledge about life who used to hang with young people. So when I met Baba, he was 57 and I was only 21 or 20. And he would hang with people my age. And so that alone was like so special because he wanted to talk to us. He wanted to build with us. And second of all, he was a world traveler. So Baba OJ um, would travel to Africa, go from uh, country to country within the, 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 the motherland and study with Egyptologists, study with Yoruba tribes, study with various different backgrounds of tribes in Africa. And I love that about him. He was a learner on a consistent basis. He was also a deep vegan, vegetarian, all of those things at different stages. Never ate meat since I've known him. And he um, was extremely healthy. So he sort of had this holistic way of thinking about life from a knowledge standpoint to a health standpoint to just a relating to people on a personal everyday level standpoint. So that's what I really liked about Bob OJ. Um, the deeper level about Bob that I didn't even know when I met him is he was the best man in my mother and father's wedding before I was even born, before I was even thought about. I didn't know that. So there's like some people you meet, whereas there's a spiritual intersection that you had no clue about, but only God himself could know that, oh, this man is gonna play way more of a role than you even understand. He was the best man in my father and mother's wedding. And then he also would end up being in my group that I would take around the planet. And mm -hmm. neither of us knew each other initially because I wasn't born when he was the best man. So when, he, when I met him, he didn't know who I was. I was just a guy named Todd Thomas. And he put it together after a while and said, Thomas, are you related to my mom and dad? And it dawned on him, I know your mother and father. And so all of this type of stuff would happen as we would create our journey together. So Bob was a deep dude. Thanks for sharing. Um, he definitely had one of those distinguished looks that you could just look at him and just tell that he was a person of wisdom. Um, I agree. Uh, very, dist very distinguished look. So, um, so for the fans going back a little bit into history a little bit, um, how overwhelming was the success of three years, five months and two days? Um, bro, it was inexplicable how deep it was. Like, you know, we were a very, and still are, but very much an organic group. We weren't into fame and money. We weren't trying to chase the bag. I mean, don't get me wrong. We were broke. So we did need to make some money, sure. but that wasn't our overall objective, right? We're doing music and fame for us came relatively quick once the album dropped. I mean, within three or four months, you know, we had become a very popular group in hip hop. And then probably within a year's time, we were a household name in, in, in hip hop music. We had, you know, won two Grammys by that time two MTV awards, Soul Train awards, NAACP awards, so on and so forth. So it was anybody who watched any type of mainstream TV or radio or listened to radio, they knew Arrested Development. And so it was very, very tough for an organic group like us to get that type of accolades off not, not our first or second, um, not our second album, but our first album ever. Um, that, was, that was very crazy for us. How difficult... How easy or how difficult was it for you uh, as the, as the founder of the group to keep the integrity of the group to keep to, to, to keep 
because once fame comes you know once you step on this uh on a couple of stages once you hear your song on the radio a couple of times and stuff like that um the essence the rawness the integrity sometimes kind of you know many many times disappear so you you have an album you know you have an album here that's that's again that's really a mainstay as far as uh you know in culture is concerned so how difficult was it to for you to say hey listen we need to stay on track right here while other members probably didn't see that same vision it was really hard bro that's a great question but all your questions have been really great thank you you know it was extremely hard because you know a lot of people um wouldn't believe how much effort and vision it takes to try to put together a conscious group in this world like the music industry doesn't tend to attract to that so in order to try to have that but also get out through the channels of mainstream corporate record labels and get out there to the mainstream of the world and say this kind of message it doesn't come easily it's a lot of forethought a lot of um intentional behavior so when you get famous and money becomes something that we're dealing with when prior to the group getting famous we weren't rich we were broke so it's like we didn't money wasn't an issue for us it wasn't the thing we were trying to you know figure out but when you start making money now it is a thing and so it is tough to maintain integrity when money gets involved there's a scripture in the bible that says money is the root of all kinds of evil and to me it's probably one of the most understated scriptures in the in the bible I agree. Because that is so true. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it affects people in numerous ways. There's another scripture in the Bible in the Old Testament that says man is tested by the praise he receives. Yeah. And so <laughs> fame, fame, exactly. So fame and money put together test you in ways that you could not believe until you've had that happen to you. So some people might be able to judge real quickly and say, well, it won't happen to me. And all I can tell them is, you know, you actually don't really know until you've had it happen to you. Absolutely. Then if you're able to withstand it, then salute. But if you're, if it gets to you, then you you would be like so many other people. Wow. Th thanks. Th thanks for uh, elaborating more uh, on that. And just got a couple more questions for you, Speech. Vagabond Productions. Let's talk about that a little bit. Was it? Yeah. What was this? Was was this derived from the bumps and bruises and the dings of the music industry, the record labels? Yeah, I started Vagabond personally. The the moment Arrested Development started doing well, I wanted to create a corporation. Um, I wanted to create a record label where I can pull up some of the people that I grew up with doing music with. And so I did that. But I also, my mother and father are, are entrepreneurs. So they had taught me and was whispering in my ears, like, you need to do this, you need to do that. And so Vagabond Productions ended up being basically um, the hub of everything that I would do business-wise. So I was doing, initially I was doing promoting concerts. So I was bringing people like the Fugees when they came out, mm, Outkast mm. before they got huge, huge, but Outkast, Queen Latifah, Gangstar, um, Farside. I mean, you name it, nice. like every fishbone. I mean, people of different genres too, so not just hip hop and uh, Ben Harper. So bottom is, is like I would bring artists to Atlanta and do 
packed, incredible shows for years under Vagabond. But I've also, I was also releasing records under Vagabond, signing artists under Vagabond. So Vagabond just sort of became that thing. And the name really came from just how, how I tend to go from one genre to the next, like what I'm interested in. Because I mentioned Fishbone because I really like ska music. And then I, I mentioned a lot of hip hop groups because I like hip hop and then soul and funk and jazz. So. You know, I think Vagabond just seemed fitting to me from a name standpoint. No, absolutely. That's 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 what that's what they do. Nomads. They travel. No. Nomads, exactly. Yeah. Um where do you what do you think we need to do? And this a lot, um, mainly because you guys just you you're you're not your typical average hip hop group. You're a movement you're a representation of a culture how does arrested development fit in into in, into today's world and what what are you guys working what what are you working on to complement the time yeah i'll answer the second part first I, we just dropped an album called don't fight your demons it came out in um, late 2020, and it has gotten the best response of anything we've released over the last 20 odd years. And so I'm really excited about the fans' response to that album. And I'm re I'm releasing a solo record um, in Black History Month of this year. Nice. So coming up, it's called Expansion, and I'm really excited because I'm working with numerous artists on this project. Uh, Kafiga's doing remixes on it. Mm. I got artists from the UK, artists from America, of course, and artists from Africa. So it's a really wonderful record I'm excited about. Um, I'm doing documentaries. So I did The Nigga Factory, as we talked about earlier. I also did a full-length documentary that's on Amazon Prime called 16 Bars. Hey, hey, so and, real quick, yeah. real quick. Uh, so on Hoodwinked, I seen the first two parts, but it, you said there was three parts. I I I mean to do three parts, and I haven't okay. because yeah, I, I started the third part in twenty nineteen actually. Okay, and, and we didn't get to do it, finish it because of COVID. Okay, then once COVID happened, George Floyd and Brianna Taylor, everything just hit the fan, and yeah. Yeah, so every, okay. it just it just didn't get to finish it. Okay, because I seen because I was I was looking at it, and then you were making some announcements, and I I tore I tore my internet up looking for it. I was like, where is it? I, I I think I I think I actually went on one of those uh, pirated <laughs> one of those pirated yeah. sites <laughs> to see if I yeah. could find it. I'm looking all over for it. I'm like, right? No, I it can't hasn't, find it. Hasn't it. come out yet. Okay, I, I okay. will drop it though, but I haven't. Uh, I haven't so, been able to finish it. So, so y'all, there's two, there's two parts to that, and that link is going to be y'all, y'all definitely, y'all definitely need to uh, watch that. I, it, it was very <laughs> insightful. I watched it all. It was very enjoyable. Thank you, man. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, and you know, to answer your question about how how was it fitting into the landscape, we've always been, and I don't love this, but we've always been an awkward part of hip hop and the music scene because, you know. I don't know exactly why we're awkward to some people, but 
some people have, have labeled us as alternative rap. Other people label us as hotep rap. Other people, you know, don't call us hip hop at all. I mean, there's been a lot of different um, categories that people have put us in. To me, we're definitely hip hop. We definitely are needed and fit right in the middle of all of what hip hop is. I love everything from what Snoop does all the way to what PE does and everything in between. So to me, I feel like Arrested Development has to be there to fill in the space that we fill in. Um, so, you know, I feel like groups like the Fugees who did singing and rhyming, in my opinion, were able to do that because of what Arrested Development put out there. Same difference with um, Outkast who was able to do, you know, like Andre 3000 could do full singing songs. And he's still known as a hip hop artist, but he was able to expand the musicality of what he did and bring that CeeLo, same difference. So many others have been able to do it. And in my opinion- PM Dawn. PM Dawn, PM all, Dawn. you know what I'm saying? So exactly. So like to me, Arrested Development started the movement in hip hop of being able to sing, rhyme and melody, um, being able to have men and women in the same crew. Um, a lot of the you know live instrumentation, a lot of these things that I feel like we were able to bring to the table. Not saying we were the first at, at, at some of those. There was Funky Four Plus One with female male in a group. There was Stetsasonic with live band. Yeah. So some of those things that happened, but having an elder in the group, male, female, melodic rhymes, there's various things that I think we brought to the table that allowed other groups to to follow in those paths. So well, it's it's one of those things, the space that you occupy. The, the, the space that you occupy, it, it it can't be identified. And so when people get confused with regards to not being able to identify something, then you start coming up with, well, nah, we don't know this and this. You guys have, uh, and, and really, and, and when I say this, you say that you weren't the first to do it, but coming from my standpoint of view, you, you guys were pioneers of your style. You pioneered a style. Um, you pioneer the style and you occupy the space that is very difficult for any group or any solo artist to come into that space. And I think that's very, very, very important. And most importantly of all, that's called uniqueness. Yeah. The outcasts, the two shorts, the NWAs, yeah. the Arrested Developments, yeah. the E-40s, yeah. so on and so, yeah. the Fugees, so on and so forth uh it's uniqueness and when you speak of uniqueness that. arrested development has got to be mentioned in the same breath as those other artists and those other artists should be mentioned in the same breath as arrested development mr speech man it's been lovely brother it's been a lovely interview man thank you one, man. appreciate one, that one. great vibes from youtube oh man thank you you know, I always ask this question before I let 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 people go. If you can go back and talk to the speech of 1992, what would you tell him? Um, I'd probably tell him a lot, but one of the things that I would tell him is to make sure that you are communicating very well with your crew, meaning the group members. Um, communicating what your intentions are, where you're trying to go and having those dialogues flesh all the way out so that everybody's either on the same page or they're not, but there's no confusion. Because I do think that we broke up in 1995 
and we got back together in 2000. That five years off could have been avoided and a lot of the heartache that we faced as a group could have been avoided if the older speech would have talked to the young speech about that. Were you were you disliked because you wanted to, I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but perhaps this, were you disliked by the way you wanted to keep the integrity of the group? Very much so. Gotcha. You know, I was mis disliked and misunderstood. So disliked because, you know, I had a lot of strong opinions that I had reasons for, but maybe I didn't, I didn't explain it well. So like one of the things we were very, well, I was very big on was us not dressing in name brand clothes. Well, the point was I was trying to show an example of a successful black hip hop collective that didn't depend upon Nike or whatever, a lot of these very big brands to define our importance. And I wanted our people to have a prototype of an example of success without that. Man. But that was misunderstood by people in the group who very badly was making money and wanted to rock stuff like that. And then I'm the leader of the group and I'm telling them, no, you can't do that. And they yeah. didn't understand yeah. that. I'm yeah. telling them, yo, we can't rock, you know, um, we can't ride first class on the plane because I wanted to be, I wanted us to be about the people. Well, these are things that are deep concepts. They're not deep, but they're different concepts when, when you compare it to most crews who are like, yo, of course we're gonna ball out. We're gonna go on the first, we rock in first class, or of course we're gonna rock this limo. You know, like it was things like that, that was just, it was um, not understood. And people felt like it was just me on some ego stuff. And in truth, it was just, me trying to go a different path and trying to pave a way for us as a people to think differently about some of these concepts, but still great, still put out great music, still kill the stage, still bring it, but just come with some different ways of, of rock and fame. Speech, man, you've been great, man. Uh, bless you, man. Uh, bless you and all of your endeavors uh, with the group. Thank you. Thank you so much for being an impact, being impactful in my life as a kid. I was 20 when uh, when y'all first project tech came out. And, you. you know, I don't believe in blowing smoke up anybody's tailpipe to make them feel good. I will tell you that I know fishing for religion is my sound. Wow. It, Fishing for, yeah. fishing for religion is my jam. Dawn of the Dreads right. is my it's my song. I right. I listened and studied that album, man. It was thank you, thank it, you. It it was educational. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your second album, I I actually made a song. I I I, I it didn't go anywhere, so y'all can't sue me, man. But I actually sampled <laughs> from uh, Zingalama Doomy, uh, yeah. the second album. I I got a sample. Uh, that I used when I was recording back in the day. You guys have been just so uh, a blessing in my life. And just thank you so much for just being on the show speech. I really appreciate it, brother. Well, Chris, it's really appreciated. Your interview was top notch. So I want to oh, give you, man. I want to give you a big shout on that, man. Very, very good questions and very professional, bro. I appreciate that. Man, I really appreciate it, man. I told you we wasn't going to talk about the, the who, what, what, man. You know, that, <laughs> make you think, brother. <laughs> Speech. That was great, man. Man, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Stay strong, brother. Hey, likewise, likewise, man.